Masechet Sota Daf Chaf Numishna. More details about the Sota and her drinking of the bitter waters. Ad shelonim hakah megila amra eni shota megilata nignezet uminchatamit pazeret al hadeshen ve'en megilata keshera lahashkot ba sota acheret. Let's say they write the scroll for the sota, but before they um, get a chance to erase it. She says, you know what, I refuse to drink. I'm not going to drink. I don't want to get into it, right? Uh, maybe she does it calmly because she knows she's guilty and so this scares her enough um, or because she's scared, whatever the reason. She says, I'm not going to drink. In that case, we don't go ahead and erase it. Rather, we take that scroll and we put it away. Geniza. Um, right, you can't throw it away because it's holy, it's holy writing, but you also can't use it again because a Megillah that you wrote for one woman is not not permitted to use for another woman. All right, according to this, the Megillah has to be written Lishma for the sake of this particular person. So therefore, you can't throw it away, but you also can't use it again. So therefore, you put it away in the Genizah. And also, the Mincha offering that was already made holy because this uh, barley was uh, put into a holy vessel. So since it's now holy, you can't just take it home. Um, you also can't continue and offer it because now we stop the ceremony short. And so there's no point in um, in bringing this korban mincha. So instead, we burn it and scatter it over the dish and the ashes. In the Bet Mikdash, there were a couple of places where they would put the leftover ashes, and they, they, they would burn uh, other korbanot that became pasul, that they couldn't go through with it, but were holy, they would burn them in those places. And so this mincha also is burnt and scattered over the ash pile. Now, next case is Nimhaka Megillah Vamra Temea Ani Hamaim Nishpachin Uminhatamit Pazeret Albet Hadeshen Nimhaka Megillah Vamra Eni Shota Meaderi Nota Mashkinota Baal Korcha. The second case is we already erased the Megillah and then she says, you know what, I admit that I'm guilty. So now you're not going to go on and make her drink because she already admitted her guilt. There's no point in testing her when she already admitted. So in that case, the bitter waters that already are prepared and have the ink in them, they are thrown away um, because now there's no need to use them for this woman and you can't use them for any other woman. And um, the Mincha also, again here, is, uh, is scattered over the ashes because we're not going to need this Korban Mincha anymore. Uh, the scroll is already erased, so that's why we don't talk about the scroll. The third case is that the scroll was erased, but she says here, not I am Tameh, but I refuse to drink. Um, so at this point, we force her to drink even against her will. Right? We already uh, erased the scroll, and we don't want to erase Hashem's, Hashem's name for naught. And in this case, um, assuming that she is just fearful, and that's why she says, I don't want to drink, but actually probably she is innocent, and therefore we force her, to, we convince her to drink, force her to drink, and then hopefully she will be innocent and nothing will happen, so it actually will end up being for her benefit. Okay, and, uh, and since we're forcing her to drink, the Korban Mincha goes ahead. 
So the Korban Mincha is valid. Alright. Now, as she is drinking, she would barely manage to finish the drink. Yerushalmi uh, explains that this can't be literal because she actually does have to drink the entirety of it in order for it to be effective. Uh, but the Mishnah just saying, like, barely finishes. It wants to emphasize that the effect um, will take place immediately. So she just finishes drinking and her face turns either green, it could also mean like yellow, and her eyes bulge, her skin, the veins protrude, and then the uh, they say, take her out of the courtyard. Uh, this whole time she's doing the ceremony, she's drinking, right in front of the Nicanor gates, right in the woman's courtyard. And so they say, take her out so she doesn't make the courtyard tameh. If she blows up and dies there, right, we're concerned, um, concerned about her too, but also concerned that there should not be tum'ah in the Bet HaMikdash. Im yesh la zechut haita tolala, yesh zechut tola shanachat, yesh zechut tola sheteshanim, yesh zechut tola shaloshanim. Even though we just said it takes effect immediately, it doesn't necessarily take immediately. If she has merit, right, this woman, even if she was guilty and not faithful, but she also did many good things, she helped many people, she did many mitzvot, so that merit can push off delay the punishment sometimes for one year or sometimes for two years or even for up to three years. And uh, the effect will only occur later on, uh, such that just because uh, she doesn't have the effect right away, uh, she can't think, oh, I must have, uh, right, I got, got away with a crime. But rather, she has to worry that it will come, it'll happen later. Because of this, Ben Azai said, a person must, is obligated to teach his daughter Torah, so that if it should happen that when she gets married, she is made a sota and she drinks, she should know that merit will delay her punishment. Why is that good to know? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, she'll learn that having merit is a good thing, and so she'll work on having merit of mitzvot and good deeds, um, because that's always a good thing. And second, let's say she is guilty, and then she realizes, then she sees, oh, look, nothing happened to me, right? And she'll think that the whole sota sota ritual is fake. And therefore teach her that, listen, it could be that it's delayed, but doesn't mean it's fake. Uh, It will happen, um, it will happen eventually. And so that she she doesn't um, uh, think wrongly of of the sota. So she should learn Torah, so she knows these laws. Um, This will benefit her. Rabbi Eliezer Omer Kola Melamed Bito Torah Lomda Tiflut. Even though in the printed edition it says Keilu, but the Keilu can't be here because the Gemara is actually going to ask about this. What do you mean? It's actually like Tiflut, and the Gemara adds in as an interpretation Keilu. And another version of the Mishnah, the word Keilu is not there. Okay, so the original language of the Mishnah is uh, Rabbi Eliezer disagrees with Ben Azai and says anyone who teaches his daughter Torah is teaching her promiscuity. He's taking it the opposite way. If a father would teach his daughter uh, these laws and laws of sota, then she might know how to take a loophole and she'd be able to make a sin and she'll do it in such a way that the witnesses won't be sufficient and um, she'll be able to get away with it without being punished. And uh, therefore, 
We don't want to teach, to teach her this because then she will uh, she will use it um, uh, for her advantage and uh, she will end up uh, doing promiscuity. Now that we mentioned tiflut, promiscuity, Rabbi Yoshua says um, that's the nature of woman that she would rather have a kav of food, meaning a small amount of food, but have tiflut and have, have relations, uh, rather than have a lot of food and abstinence. Uh, for example, a woman would rather have a husband who lives at home and that she can be with uh, regularly, even if they have to live in relative poverty rather than a husband who goes away for months at a time. He's a merchant who goes away for a long time, and even if they have, she, has, she can live a luxurious life, but she only is with her husband uh, once every few months, uh, so she would rather uh, be, be with her husband more. Uh, that's a nice nice way of interpreting Rabbi Yoshua. Um, okay, Huaya Omer Hasid Shote Vedasha Adum Vesha Pedusha Umakot Pedushin Hare Elu Mevale Olam. Rabbi Yoshua said yet another thing that seems opposite of the first one, but we'll explain it. Um a Hasid Shote. The Gamadal will give examples of all these things, but a Hasid Shote, for example, is someone who's so uh, so pious, but pious in a foolish way. Like if he sees a woman drowning, he won't help her out because uh, it's not sanua to to look upon her and to let her drown, right? That's not really being pious. Or uh, an, an evil a person who is uh, is very conniving and he looks like he's uh, not doing anything wrong, but really he uses his intelligence to do more evil. And a woman who is abstinent that looks like it will be this will be a good thing. It's the opposite of tiflut. So wouldn't it be good if if she's abstinent? Um, rather is talking about too abstinent, um, that she's like so pious that let's say she fasts all the time and uh, such that she has no energy to, uh, to uh, do anything for her family. Right, so too abstinent or abstinent in a hypocritical way. She looks like she's very pious and modest, but really um, her hidden actions are not so. And the uh, and the the, the uh, uh, injuries of Perushin. Uh, Perushin could refer to the group that uh, that lived during the second Bet Hamikdash, the Pharisees, um, who were had a bad reputation of being hypocrites. This bad reputation is found uh, throughout Second Temple writers, from the Dead Sea sect to early uh, church writers. Um, and even among the rabbis themselves, even though uh, Chazal are the uh, intellectual inheritors of the Perushim in terms of their halacha and their general uh, um, hashkafa and framework, uh, nevertheless, the word Perushim came to mean especially those hypocrites. So Perushim could mean the Pharisees or could mean in general those who are highly abstinent, but they do so in a hypocritical way. Um, so, for example, what do you mean that the, the blows of them? They cause themselves injury, like they'll close their eyes to be modest and not to make, make sure not to look at anything bad. So they close their eyes while they're walking in the street and they bang into walls and beams all the time and cause themselves injury. Um, so these uh, these things, all these, what they have in common is they like seem like they're good, but they're really hypocritical and actually bad. And therefore, all these people erode the world. That is the Mishnah.
All right. Um, regarding uh, teaching women uh, Torah, um, I think a lot of uh, commentaries today say this is talking about in olden days when women had no education, no secular education, no 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 general education, and therefore, if they would only uh, learn Torah without general background of how to understand things, they'd misinterpret him. However, nowadays when women are uh, studying everything else on the same the same level as uh, general population, then it doesn't make sense that they should have a high knowledge of uh, history and math and then low-level knowledge of Torah. So therefore, nowadays that they're educated, they're not going to use it for bad and uh, find uh, find loopholes in it any more than men will do. So therefore, they, they should learn Torah and certainly Torah Shebikhtav, they must know and certainly uh, laws, halachot that pertain to them, also they must learn. Okay, and now we start the Gemara. Amadav Yehuda Amar Shemuel Mishum Rabbi Meir כשהייתי למד תורה אצל רבי עקיבא, הייתי מטיל קנקנטום לתוך הדיו ולא אמר לי דבר. כשבאתי אצל רבי ישמעאל, אמר לי בני, מה מלאכתך? אמרתי לו, לבלר אני. אמר לי בני, הווה זהיר שמלאכתך מלאכת שמיים היא, שמח תחסיר, תחסיר אות אחת או תתיר אות אחת. Okay, we have a little story here, a dialogue, that relates to erasing the letters from the scroll of the Sota. And so the story goes that um, Rabbi Meir was the student of Rabbi Akiva, I was one of the prize students, um, but he also studied under Rabbi Ishmael. So when he was studying under Rabbi Akiva, he used to put kankantum, that's copper sulfate, in the ink. Um, that would that would be used to make the ink very strong and attach to the scroll very well, um, and uh, he never told me any that there's anything wrong with it. Okay, good. So the Bekiba is just to be made. We're talking about when he wrote Torah scrolls, not not particularly. Sota scrolls. Okay, and then afterwards he went to study with Rabbi Ishmael, and Rabbi Ishmael asked him, "What do? What is your work?" And he said, "I am a scribe." And Bishmael said, "My son, be very careful because the work that you do is the the work of heaven, and you have to be careful because if you uh, skip one letter or add an extra letter, you can destroy the whole world. How could you destroy the whole world? Well, one letter can make a big difference." If you spell something uh, the wrong way, and so to be made said. Um, I have uh, something that I put into the ink. It's called kankantum, this copper sulfate, uh, so that it cannot be erased. Now, there's a bit of a non sequitur here between what Abish Ishmael told him, right? He says, fine, you're, you're, a, lo- you're a, um, a um, scribe. And he says, okay, be very careful. So that, that story makes sense. But then he says, I put my kankantum, a kankantum into the ink. Right, what does that have to do with being careful not to add a letter or take away a letter? The Gemara is going to ask and clarify what the conversation is. And anyway, so Bishmael says, Do we put kankantum in the dior? You're not allowed to, because regarding the sotat says that he will erase the ink, which means when you write, um, certainly when you write a scroll for a sotat, it has to be erasable. 
And so he's assuming that that would be the same law for a Torah scroll also. Why is he assuming it would be the same law? Well, we saw before you have to write the Sotah scroll in the proper way according to the laws like a Sefer Torah. And also he probably thinks that you can use the, a Torah scroll and you go to uh, Bimidbad chapter 5 where the Sotah sota, uh, section is written and erase it from the Torah scroll. And so therefore when you write the Torah scroll it has to be erasable. You're not allowed to put kankantum in it. Okay, so that's the story. Now let's analyze the story. What exactly did the Rabbi Ishmael say? And what did Rabbi Meir answer? When Rabbi Ishmael said, what do you do? And Rabbi Meir said, oh, I am a scribe. And then Rabbi Ishmael said, be very careful not to add a letter or take away, uh, or take away a letter. Then Rabbi Akiva actually answered, listen, don't worry about me adding or taking away a letter um, because I am an expert in chaserot and yeterot. That means words that are spelled with extra vowel letters, alef, he, vav, and yod or without them, right? Many words can be spelled with or without those letters. Um, for example, the word David is spelled in Sefer Shemuel, Dalid Vav Dalid, and spelled in Devarim, Dalid Vav Yod Dalid. They're both proper spellings, um, but one is more male with an extra yud that makes it clear that's David, uh, whereas if you don't have a yod, you don't know, how you, without an oral tradition, you wouldn't know if it's a dod, or another uh, word. So there's many words in the Torah, like sisit or sukkah, that can be spelled uh, with a vav, with a yod, or without. And so he says, I'm an expert. I know exactly how to spell the the, the letters, so you don't have to worry about that. And then the Bimeid said, furthermore, you also don't have to worry about a fly that might come and uh, uh, sit to come to rest on the parchment and maybe the fly will cause some of the ink to be erased. You don't have to worry about that um, because if it does, if even if it's a small fly, it could come and um, cause the protrusion of the letter Dalit to be erased and then it will look like a resh, right? You see the Dalit here. Um, it just has a little tiny extra protrusion. If you erase that, if a fly would sit on that and erase it, then it would look like Aresh, and that could make a big difference. Like if you say, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, God is one. If you if that Dalit is turned into a Aresh, then it would say, God is another, which would be very wrong. Um, and so, um, so how does he do that to make sure? Oh, well, I have this Kankantom, and that makes the ink very strong, and I put that in, and that way it can't be erased. Okay, so this explains the non sequitur, how Rabbi Ameir got to talking about that he puts kan kantum. And then Rabbi Ishmael says, no, you're not allowed to do that. Okay, so we have uh, this interesting, even though Rabbi Akiva um, didn't say anything about it, Rabbi Akiva apparently had no problem with it, but Rabbi Ishmael did have a problem with it. That's one version of the story. But now another Braita has an opposing version of the same story. Ini. In this version, Rabbi Meir first went to study with Rabbi Ishmael, and he would put this kankantom in his ink, 
and in front of Rabbi Ishmael, and Rabbi Ishmael never objected. Apparently, he was fine with it. And it's only when he went to study with Rabbi Akiva, second, then Rabbi Akiva said, no, you should not allow to do that. It has to be erasable in a Sefer Torah. So now we have a contradiction between two versions of the story. Number one, two contradictions. Number one, well, who did he study with first? In the first version, he studied with Rabbi Akiva first. In the second story, he studied with Rabbi Ishmael first. And second of all, who's the one that prohibited it? In the first story, it was Rabbi Akiva that said it's no, Rabbi Ishmael said it was no good. In the second story, it was Rabbi Akiva who said it was no good. So, well, we can answer only one of these contradictions. In fact, he went back and forth. First, he went to and studied with Rabbi Akiva, but he was not able to comprehend what Rabbi Akiva was saying. Rabbi Akiva was a very high level, and we know Rabbi Akiva to be uh, very creative in his derashot, very complex uh, derashot that he taught. Right, This is not the first time that there was someone sitting in Rabbi Akiva's uh, uh, shiur and that didn't understand what was going on. Right In Masechet Menachot, even Moshe Rabbeinu uh, could not follow Rabbi Akiva's shiur. And so since he was lost, he says, this is no good. So he went to Rabbi Ishmael and learned Gemara. Gemara in the Gemara means Girsa. He learned the, the, text of, the text of the tradition. He learned it by heart. So he got the basic laws. Rabbi Ishmael is known to be closer to the Peshat, and so Rabbi Ishmael taught him the basic laws, and he was able to memorize everything. And Rabbi Ishmael's derivations were clear, clear-cut, and easy to understand. And so he, so he went to Rabbi Ishmael, and he learned all of the oral law by heart. And after that, he went back to the shiur of Rabbi Akiva, now that he had all this knowledge, and then he did savar sevara, logical reasoning, comparing laws, deriving one thing from the other, compl- complicated logical structures that Rabbi Akiva was famous for. And then he was ready. After Rabbi Ishmael, same with Rabbi Ishmael, then he went and studied with Rabbi Akiva. Okay, fascinating story, just comparing the two methodologies of these sages. Oh, so that we can reconcile that, in fact, yes, he was a Rabbi Akiva student first, and then Rabbi Ishmael, but then after Rabbi Ishmael, went back to Rabbi Akiva, so that's, you can reconcile. Ela, asara, asara, kashya, kashya. But the other contradiction, we cannot find a resolution. We're not sure, was it to be Ishmael or to be Akiva in the second story that said that you're not allowed to put the copper sulfate in the, in, in the ink. Okay, uh, but now uh, following up on this discussion of how if the, the, the erase, erasing of the ink, Tanya Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Omer haya Rabbi Meir, lakol matilin kankantum letoch dio, chutz mi parashat sota bilvad. We have a machloket between two Tanaim about what Rabbi Meir's final halacha was. Rabbi Yehuda, his colleague of Rabbi Meir, says, that according to the Bimeir, the expert scribe, you are allowed to use kankantom in everything that you write, including Torah scrolls, Tefillin, Mezuzot, right? Because you don't want them to be 
erased, so it's permitted, except for the section of Sotah in a Torah scroll. In other words, the scribe is going to write the whole Torah using Kankantom ink. When he gets to Sefer Bemidbar, chapter 5, then use ink without Kankantom. So apparently he thinks that you are allowed to erase the Pesukim from a Sefer Torah for a Sotah. Uh, that's one opinion. Rabbi Yaakov Omer Mishemo, Chutz Mi Parashat Sotah Shel Mikdash. Rabbi Yaakov, however, said in the name of Rabbi Akiva that you can use Kan Kantom for everything, Tefillin, Mezuzot, and the Sefer Torah, meaning the whole Sefer Torah. You use Kan Kantom even for the Bemidbar uh, chapter 5. You only shouldn't use Kan Kantom for a Sotah scroll, the one that they would use in the Beta Mikdash only, when, right? Because the, the whole Sotah only applies when there is a Beta Mikdash. When you make a separate special scrolls for a Sotah, that's what you erase. So apparently, according to the Biakov, you are not allowed to erase the uh, section in the Sefer Torah. And that's why the Sefer Torah you can use Kan Kantom. Right? So my Benayhu, Benayhu. So Bimia explains, right? What's the difference between them? Um, uh, whether or not you are allowed to erase Parashat Sotah in the Sefer Torah, according to Bibi Yehuda, you are allowed. And that's why when you get to Bemidbar uh, uh, chapter 5, write that without Kan Kantom. So you erase it right from the Sefer Torah. Rabbi Yaakov Amher, no, write it with Kan Kantom. You can't erase the Sefer Torah section anyway. You have to make a separate Sotah scroll. Good. Now we saw now that we saw one machloket between two tanaim about whether you can use a Torah scroll for a sotah. Maybe let's suggest that there's a parallel machloket between another Tuntanaim about the same subject. Um, because here we say um, uh, a Megillah uh, for a, so, a Megillah that you write for a Sota, Sota scroll, is not kosher to use for a Sota, a different Sota. Notice if you write it for Mrs. A and she doesn't end up using it and they don't erase it, you can't use it for anybody else. Um, so if you say you can't use it for anybody else, then that would mean that you also cannot use a Sefer Torah. Because the Sefer Torah is written there already, and it can be used for any woman, which means that you don't you don't have to use it for any particular woman. So it seems uh, that according to this uh, um, the the first opinion here, uh, that a, a scroll a sotas scroll has to be written for a particular woman. You cannot reuse it, so you wouldn't be able to use a sefer Torah. Whereas Rabbi Achai Bar Yoshia Omer, Migilata Keshara Lashkot Basota Acheret. Yoshia says, no, if you wrote it for one Mrs. A and she doesn't use it, okay, put it away. And then another Sota comes along, use it for Mrs. B. It's okay to use. So according to him, it does not have to be written particularly for each woman. So according to Rabbi Achai, it would seem that you can use a Sefer Torah. A Sefer Torah is not written for any particular woman. You're just writing it as a Sefer Torah. And then, if you want to use it, you can. So it seems like they might be arguing about the very same subject. But then we reject it, and we say not necessarily, in both directions. Could be that Tanakama would say, 
uh, once you write a, a sota scroll and it's designated for one woman, let's say uh, Rachel, so then you can, and you don't use it for Rachel, then you cannot use it for another woman and redesignate it for Leah. So that's the problem because it's already designated for a particular woman. You can't use it for another. But a Sefer Torah, which is not written, with, it's not designated for any woman. It's just uh, Stam. Uh, it's written just as a Sefer Torah. So since it was never designated for anyone in particular, therefore you can use a Sefer Torah. So it could very well be that Tanakama thinks you can use a Sefer Torah. You just can't use a designated Sota scroll for a different woman. And the other way around also is possible. When Rabbi Achai said that you can use a Megillah that you wrote for woman and you can use it for another woman he only said yeah Megillah you can use because it was written for the purpose of a sota curse and so it doesn't matter you can use it for one woman you wrote it for a sota you can use it for a second sota woman but a Sefer Torah Sefer Torah is, uh, is written to to read to study to learn from it it's not written for a curse and therefore you cannot use a Sefer Torah not for any woman and so it's this, uh, therefore, in both ways, the second machloket uh, may be very well independent of the machloket about the previous machloket about whether you can use a sefer Torah for a sota. Right, the second opinion in this. Here that says you can use a Megillat Sota that was written for one woman and designated, and she doesn't use it, you can use it for another woman. It does not have to be written Lishma. Rabbi says that, but wouldn't he agree regarding a divorce paper, a get, that let's say you have Ruben and Rachel. Um, and uh, this is a couple, and they want to get divorced, and Reuben writes a get. It says Reuben is giving this get to Rachel, has their names. But then they change their mind, they go to therapy, they reconcile, and he doesn't give the get. But he has it there in the draw. And then another person in the same city, because in the get you have to write the names, you have to write the city. So another person who lives in the same city with the same name, he's also Reuben, he's also married to a woman named, uh, named Rachel, with the same names of their parents and everything else that you write in the ketubah, in the in a get. And he says, listen, my name is the same as your name. Your wife's name is the same as mine. You mind if I use it? I don't want I could save money on paying a scribe to write a whole new get for me. So is that permitted? And they say, no, um, it's not permitted. And so you see that for a get, even if it's the same name, you can't you reuse you use a get for a different purpose. A get has to be lishma. So wouldn't you agree that agree with that law? And therefore, shouldn't you just say the same thing regarding a Megillat Sota? Megillat Sota doesn't have anybody's name in it, but still, if I wrote it for Rachel, then I can't use it for Le'ah. Rabbi Achai, how come you say it's permitted? And the answer is Amre, Natam Bechatabla, Marachamana, Bain and Kitibadish Mahaname, Vasala, Mai Asiya, Mechika. So, so, well, maybe there it says Bechatabla. Regarding get, the Torah says you have to write it for her, the get. So the writing has to be Lishma for the sake of this woman. That's why you can't use it for another woman, even if it's the same name. 
Wait a second, but regarding Sotar also says Ve'asa la, you also, the Kohen has to make it for her, right? has to do the ceremony for her, sounds like Lishma for this particular woman. And we explain when it says make it, right, do it, do the ceremony, what's the essential part of the ceremony? It's the erasing, not the writing. Unlike a get, where the writing of it is an essential part, Regarding the sota, you write it, according to, at least according to the uh, Bi'achai. Uh, you can write it with, it doesn't matter who you have in mind. Um, and even if you didn't use it for, uh, for Rachel, and Leah comes along, since as long as you're erasing it for the sake of this woman, that's permitted. What you couldn't do is, if you erased it for Rachel, and then she uh, ended up um, uh, admitting that she's guilty and you didn't, you, she didn't drink it, after that, you can't use that for another uh, for another woman because the erasing has to be lishma, but the writing for a vasota scroll does not have to be lishma, and that's why you can reuse it. Okay, now the Gemara the Mishnah went on. It says ena mesapeket lishtot ad shepaneha. So regarding that, she she drinks it, and as soon as she finishes drinking it already. Um, immediately, our eyes start bulging, and you see all the consequences. Now we ask, Mane, who is the author of this Mishnah? It has to be Rabbi Shimon, who says that first she brings a korban mincha, and then she brings, and then and then she drinks, so that the drinking is the last thing she did. She already did uh, all the requirements. In other words, in order for the curse to take effect. Both of these things have to be done, the mincha and the drinking. So um, if you say that it takes effect immediately after the drinking, we have to assume that she did the mincha already, which was Rabbi Shimon's opinion. Um, uh, because, see, if you would follow uh, Rabbanan, who says the other way around, as long as she didn't bring the Koban Mincha, the waters wouldn't, wouldn't do, wouldn't have, would not have an effect. Because regarding the Mincha, it says, this is a remembrance of the iniquity. So you have to bring up the iniquity first in order for it to have an effect. So therefore, it can't be Rabbanan, because according to Rabbanan, she drinks first, and the drinking is not expected is not going to do anything until she brings the korban. It's as soon as you bring the korban mincha, then it will take effect. So then this Mishnah that says it takes effect immediately upon drinking has to be to be Shimon. Alright, so far so good. But look at the next clause in the Mishnah, Ema Sefa, Yesh la zikhut ayta tola la. Tan Rabbanan, Tehir bi Shimon ha'amad en zikhut tola b'maim ha'marim. This next clause that says, if she has merit, then it will delay the punishment for one, two, or three years. That has to be Rabbanan against Rabbi Shimon because way back a few dapim ago we saw Rabbi Shimon says, uh, no, there's no such thing as merit that delays the, the, the punishment. The punishment happens right away. So that clause cannot be Rabbi Shimon. So how can we reconcile it? The first clause is Rabbi Shimon, the second one is not Rabbi Shimon. In fact, our entire Mishnah is the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was actually the teacher of Rabbi Shimon. This is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Stam Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon happen to say the same thing about the order that you bring the Mincha offering and then the drink. And so that's why the first clause can be Rabbi Akiva. And when it comes to the merit issue, whether merit can delay, Rabbi Akiva agrees with the majority of the sages that there is merit that will delay against his student, Rabbi Shimon. And so therefore the entire Mishnah can be the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. Good. Now immediately um, they 
uh, as soon as she drinks, they see the starting to happen. They say we have to remove her from the uh, the had habayit so, so she doesn't make it tameh. My tama de dilma meta because she may die. Now we ask, So you're telling me that Tumat Met is prohibited from the Levitical camp when they were camping in the desert, right? You had the middle camp where the Aron was. That was the equivalent to the camp of the Kohanim. That would be equivalent to the Hechal and the, the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodashim in the Bet HaMikdash. Uh, whereas uh, outside that, surround, the outside camp where the, where the Shevatim, there, that was Machane Israel, that would be equivalent to Jerusalem. Um, uh, but the, the one in the middle where Moshe was and the Leviim were or surrounding the middle uh, part of the camp, surrounding the Adon, that was the Levite camp. And the equivalent of that in the Bet HaMikdash was Had Habayit, right? The entire, the, uh, uh, the, the entire flat surface on top of the temple mount and that included the woman's section um, in the on, on the in the Bet HaMikdash the woman's section didn't mean only women went there it means that women weren't allowed past that as you remember that the Sota stood at the Nicanor gate the Nicanor gate was um, uh, was what separated the the Ezrat uh, Nashim from the Kodesh inside inside it. So she wasn't allowed in the Kodesh. That would be the Machane of Kohanim. She was in the Machane Leviyah. So the entire Temple Mount, including the courtyard uh, where the Sota was, are called Machane Leviyah. And um, we see in the following Braita that um, Tumat Met is permitted in that area. We learn that a Tame Met, a person who came into contact with a dead body, is permitted to go to that section. Um, that's why today, according to many poskim, um, a person nowadays, even though we're all Tamei Lamet, one is permitted to go on to Harabait, not where the Bet, not where the Kodesh was, where the Hechal was, or where the um, where the Mizbeach was. All that is Mahane Kehuna, not allowed to go there as Tamei Met. But on Harabait, the outskirts, of the of Harabait, even someone who is Tameh Met is permitted to go. You just can't be Tameh other types of Tumat, Tumat Sheres, Tumat Keri. So that's why we, we go to the Mikveh beforehand. Um, so not only is someone who is Tameh Met allowed to go into Machane Leviyah, even a dead body itself can be brought there. How do we know? Because when they were traveling in the desert, Moshe took the bones of Yosef with him. And it means with them not only that he was responsible for taking them out, he actually carried them, um, or they were carried near him in his area. So they had an actual Aron of a Met being carried in uh, the Machane Leviyah, which is equivalent to the Temple Mount and the area where the Sota was. Therefore, even if she dies, so what? Um, you're allowed to have Tumat Met there and even a Met herself. No, no, we want to get her out of there, not because we're afraid she's going to die, but rather we're afraid she's going to bleed and become a, a t- Tumat Nida, which is not allowed um, on Harabait. So you're telling me that fear uh, causes her to 
relax her muscles and therefore bleed. Yes, in fact, that's true. We learned this from Esther when she heard that Mordechai was in the courtyard and uh, wearing uh, torn clothes. Uh, so uh, Queen Esther, she was very scared. She was shaking. And Rav said, explained, that means that she became Nida. So yes, uh, sudden. Uh, fear can cause a woman to be nida, and that's why we're afraid that when she drinks, she's going to uh, suddenly feel this fear and trembling, and she's going to become nida. Therefore, we say, get her out of here immediately. Um, okay, hold on. Now we ask the opposite way. There's a Mishnah that says, that trepidation, uh, here by, by this we mean um, more of a prolonged stress level, um, causes Nida to stop, which is true. Um, stress hormones can affect, uh, 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 can delay the onset of, it, of Nida. So that would mean that it would stop it, not bring it on. So which one is it? And the answer is, it depends. If it's an ongoing trepidation, stress, then it's going to cause the muscles to contract and stop the flow and uh, delay uh, the delay onset of nida. However, if it's a sudden um, a, a sudden fear, then it will relax and cause the flow to come uh, early. And so that explains the contradiction between these two sources. All right. Next section of the Mishnah: Yesh la She has married. It can delay one to two up to three years. Mane matitin. Who is the author of this section of the Mishnah? Lo ben Hanan Ben Yisrael, it seems it cannot be any of these three Tanaim. Why? What do they say? Well, let's, let's learn about it in the following Baraita. The Tanaim Yeshla Zechutola La Shelosha Hodashim, Kedeha Karata Ubar, Debre Abba Yoseb Ben Hanan, Rebiel Azar Ben Yisrael, Ishkefar Darom, Omer Tisha Hodashim, Shene Emad Veniketa. So according to the first the first opinion, Abayose says, um, how long will merit delay the punishment of a sota? He says only three months. And he's going to learn it from the same Pasuk as the second one. The Pasuk says that if she is uh, um, innocent, she's cleared and she will have have seed. So we're learning this as not if she's totally innocent, but rather if she has some merit, then she it will be, be delayed long enough for her to have seed. What does that mean, long enough to, for her to have seed? For her to become, not only become pregnant, but also that it will start showing. How long is that? Three months. That's the first opinion. Rebbe Lazar says, uh, no, from the same pasuk that she will have seed, but not just that show, preg be, show pregnancy, uh, but rather actually give birth, which would be nine months. How do you know? Because it says that I hear, and it says that I in a different pasuk and in Tehilim, where it says, uh, where it's talking about uh, seed shall serve him, it shall be told about Hashem to a next generation. So it has to, has to be a child who's born, and therefore, well, child himself can't talk, but a baby, um, but eventually the child will grow up, the baby will grow up and be able to talk. Um, so it has to be a, a, a viable child, a baby who will eventually, who's born in order for it to be called Zera, yeah, Zera, and therefore that's nine months. Okay, so there, there we have two opinions, that it delays either for three months or for nine months. And then Rabbi Ishmael is the longest, Rabbi Ishmael, one year. 
ואף על פי שנהיה לדבר זכר לדבר דכתיב להן מלכה מלכי ישפד עלייך וחטאייך בסתקה פירוק ואהבתייך במיכן עניין And so Rabbi Ishmael says one year, which is the max, which is not enough for the Bina Mishnah, because the Mishnah says two or three years. Anyway, where does Bishmael get the one year from? He says, listen, I don't have an absolute proof, but I have an illusion. Um, when Nebuchadnezzar saw a disturbing dream, Daniel explained to him that, the, that this is a bad dream. It's going to cause uh, his, Nebuchadnezzar uh, is going to see his downfall. And then he says to the Malka, well, listen to my Uh, listen to my advice, and you can redeem your sins with uh, charity. And if you give to the poor, then you, you will uh, your iniquities um, will will uh, be uh, will be uh, uh, delayed um, if you show mercy to the poor. Um, you can redeem yourself. In other words, you can buy yourself time. Um, at least destruction still will come, but you can buy time. And there'll be an extension to your tranquility, right? If you do these good deeds. And it says in the very next passage, right, this case, the things actually came upon Nebuchadnezzar, all the bad things happened, but when? After 12 months. So Rabbi Ishmael says, you see from here that if someone is deserving of punishment, which Nebuchadnezzar was, it was already decreed upon him, but if that person has a lot of merit, they can delay the punishment up to 12 months. And therefore, what we learn from Nebuchadnezzar, we will apply also to Sota, that even if she's guilty, she can delay only up to 12 months, but not more. So back to the question, who was the author of the Mishnah that says two or three years? And the answer is, is in fact the Bishmael, but we can connect what we just learned with yet another Pasuk from Amos that Hashem says, for three transgressions of Edom, for four, uh, um, I will not reverse it. Um, which means, for the fourth one, you're out. There's no possibility of extension. But for three, there is. Right? So four is no good. But three times you can get three extensions. If you have merit, you can get one extension. How long is this extension? 12 months. So from the Bukhanesah, we learn extension is a maximum of 12 months. But from Amos, you can, we learn that you can renew the extension once, twice, three times even, but not a fourth time. And so, in fact, the Mishnah can be the opinion of Rabbi Ishmael. Okay, good. When Rabbi Ishmael says no proof, but there is a, 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 an illusion, why do you say only an illusion? Why isn't this a good proof? And the answer is, Because no, you might think that for non-Jews it's different, that um, uh, 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 swift judgment is not administered upon them as readily. Um, you think that that would be a good thing, but it's actually a negative thing. Hashem allows the, the, uh, someone like the Nebuchadnezzar to continue sinning even more, right? gives them more leeway so that he can add more punishment to, to them. So I might, I might think, oh, for a non-Jew, like an evil person, like Nebuchadnezzar, he has 12 months. But for a Jew, where Hashem and wants to give him a quick reminder, a smaller punishment to stop them, um, uh, will not delay so long and will delay less. So since I might have thought that there is a reason to distinguish between the Sotah and the Bukhanetza, that's why it's only an illusion. Um, although, in fact, he is learning one from the other, 
And so therefore, just like uh, the illusion is that just like Nebuchadnezzar gets a leeway of 12 months, so to a sota 12 months, and it's renewable up to three times. And therefore, this Mishnah can be the opinion of Rabbi Ishmael. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.